If you have a Bible, uh, go ahead and open to uh, Matthew chapter 13. And we're going to be looking at uh, verses 31 to 33 today. As we get into it, uh, at the beginning of chapter 13, Jesus uh, has introduced us to uh, parables. And he introduced us with uh, the parable of the sower. Uh, some of you might be familiar with the parable, but the short of it uh, is that the parable of the sower tells us that uh, some people will respond affirmatively to the gospel, uh, but many people will hear the gospel and uh, not respond affirmatively uh, to it. Uh, and he just tells us it's just the way that it is, right? Jesus came with a message of repent and believe. And some people will hear that message uh, and by God's grace uh, will understand it and they, they will believe it and they'll respond to it. But many uh, will hear that message and not believe it. Uh, some may hear it and just flat out uh, reject the message of the gospel. We're told in the parable of the weeds as we go through Matthew chapter 13 that we have an enemy, uh, and this enemy, the devil, uh, is at work. Um, we're told uh, by the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians that the God of this age, the devil, blinds the minds of those who don't believe. And so we, we come into this world kind of in a default position of being blinded by or blinded to uh, the truth of the gospel. But the good news is, is that God sorts it all out. And, and in the end, our, our belief, the Christian belief, is that God has his way. Uh, and that even now, uh, in the turmoil in our world and the, and the crummy things that are going on, that everything somehow is working towards the end for which God has designed it. Right? And so we sleep at night because we believe that's true. Um, you know, I, I'm a news junkie. You guys know that about me. And it's just depressing reading the headlines of just the junk that happens in our world. Um, but I lay my head on the pillow at night knowing that, that God will sort it out. Uh, and, and I sleep uh, most of the time like a baby knowing that God will sort it out and that He will uh, have His way. We're told also in Matthew chapter 13 that the, the parables, that, that the fact that Jesus spoke in parables uh, has a purpose. And the purpose uh, is for some to know and for some to not know, right? We're told in, in Hebrews chapter 1, the writer of Hebrews says that long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, He has spoken to us by His Son, whom He appointed the heir of all things, through whom He also created the world. He, speaking of Jesus, is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of His nature, and He upholds the universe by the word of His power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to the angels as the name he has inherited is more, is more excellent than theirs. And so if we look just kind of through the history of our Bible long, long ago, God spoke to humanity through these people that held an office of prophet. And their, their job was to be the mouthpiece of God, and they would travel from place to place, generally delivering bad news. It wasn't a real popular thing to be a prophet um, back in, in biblical history. They would basically pronounce the judgment of God and tell the people that they, they've turned away from God and that they need to turn back to God. And so their job would be just to go around and deliver difficult news. And, and if you know anything at all about the history 
uh, of the Israelites, they, they were kind of on again, off again with God, right? They, they would turn back to God for a time, sometimes in response to these prophets, but it wouldn't last. And uh, they would fall away and another prophet would have to come and say, turn back to God. And they might turn back to God for a time. And then they would fall away and another prophet would come and kind of wash, rinse, repeat uh, cycle throughout uh, our Old Testament history. But Jesus tells us here that he comes speaking in parables and that some people are going to be able to decipher the parables and some people are not, uh, either due to an unwillingness to decipher the parables or just because they're, they're blinded by the God of this age. And so what we take from that is there, there's a window that's closing, a window of opportunity uh, to respond to the message of Christ. It, it's closing. And there's going to come a day when uh, we will, the Bible tells us, every tongue confess and every knee will bow. They'll confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And the Bible doesn't make the distinction between those who do it willingly and those who do it unwillingly, just that there's going to be a day where there's going to be no question in anybody's mind of who Jesus is. And everybody will bow and everybody will confess. And so long ago, God spoke to us through the prophets, but today He speaks through us to us through the person and the work of Jesus Christ revealed to us in our Scripture. And so as we kind of set that as the backdrop for the text that we're about to get into, uh, Jesus is going to speak again here in another parable. And starting in verse 31 of Matthew chapter 13, it says, He put another parable before them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his field. It's the smallest of all seeds, but when it has grown larger than all the garden plants and becomes a tree so that the birds of the air come and make nests in its branches. And he told them another parable, the kingdom of heaven is like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour until it was all leavened. And so we start out right out of the gate with this parable. For, first, just a couple of short verses, and we have to wonder what is Jesus trying to say here. And the fact that he tells us that the kingdom of heaven is like something, it tells us explicitly that there is a kingdom. There is a kingdom of heaven. Right? Jesus is trying to compare it to something so that we can somehow wrap our minds around what this kingdom is. And Jesus' primary message uh, throughout His time on earth was, again, the message of repent and believe because the kingdom of heaven is near. Right, Repent and believe for the kingdom of heaven is near. And as I was thinking about God's kingdom... I was thinking about just kind of other belief systems and other faiths, and I don't, I don't know of any other faith that proclaims a kingdom the way that Jesus proclaims a kingdom. Buddha didn't proclaim a kingdom. Buddha just proclaimed to love everyone, right? We can get behind that, that idea. We, like, we should love everyone, right? The Bible tells us that God is love, and, you know, Christian, like, we should love everyone. But that, that was Buddha's message, was just, just love everyone. And, and it's kind of a message that we hear a lot today, right? Just love everyone. And, and this is another discussion for another time, but our world has kind of a jacked up view of what love really is, right? What biblical, godly love is. But Buddha's message was just, just love everyone. The message of Hinduism was that if you screw up this life, you'll come back in another life and you can try again, which really kind of a perpetual groundhog day, just trying to get it right over and over and over. And again. like, where's the hope in that? Right? Especially if, if, you, if you don't get it right a few times in a row, there, there's discouragement there. But that, that's the message of Hinduism. 
The message of Islam is just to, to live in peace. Again, I, I can get behind that idea. We should be at peace with everybody, right? The Bible tells us, as far as it's up to us, to be at peace with everyone, right? But again, they're, they're not proclaiming a kingdom, and they're not proclaiming a rule or an authority. Just live in peace. The message of the Latter-day Saints sort of proclaims the kingdom. They say that, that you can be a god if you work hard enough, right? That, that you can attain a level of, of being a god, the Jehovah's Witnesses proclaim that the good will go to heaven, but that the bad will become extinct. And all of these, all, all of these are just different versions, really, of the same message that says that your job as a human being is to try harder to be better. That's what all these are. Christianity is entirely different than any other system of belief that's out there. Almost every belief system out there, system of faith, will tell you, here's what you do to draw near to God. Here's what you do to please God. Here's what you do to earn favor with God. And their messages are a perpetual, try harder to be better. Try harder to be better. Try harder to be better. And that's discouraging because if, if you're like me, it doesn't take you very long to realize that I don't think I have it in me to try hard enough to be good enough. And the Bible tells us that. The Bible tells us that we can't try hard enough to be good enough. There's only one person that tried hard enough and was good enough, and it's Jesus Christ. And the Bible tells us, for the Christian, that, that, that that's imputed to us, that righteousness, the good enough is imputed to us, right? It's not something that, that we possess on our own apart from being given to us. And so again, every belief system, every religion out there peddles some version of this message to try harder to be better. And Jesus comes saying that there is a kingdom. The fact that there is a kingdom implies that there is a king. And the fact that there is a kingdom and a king implies that there is authority in the king. The king has authority to tell us how to live. I read the other day, and I don't remember the numbers, but I read the other day that there's only a small amount of countries in the world, maybe 30 countries in the world, that throughout history have not been invaded by Britain. Almost every country of the world has been invaded by Britain at some point in their history. And when you think about how is it that a kingdom gets inaugurated, it's usually by force, right? It's usually a bigger army shows up and, and crushes a smaller army and says, we're the, new, we're the new sheriff in town. That's just how kingdoms have worked throughout history, right? There's been good kings, there's been bad kings, but generally kings rule with an iron fist and they have authority and they tell their subjects how it is. And the subjects under the king have little say in the affairs of the kingdom, right? Jesus is going to tell us today a couple of things about his kingdom to show us that his rule and his authority, while he is the king of kings, and he is the Lord of lords, he is the one who the writer of Hebrews tells us sustains everything by the word of his power. He's an altogether different king than what we might expect. He tells us that the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed. I don't know how many gardeners we might have in the room, but the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, tiny seed. It's small, but it grows into something big. Do yourself a favor when you go home, just Google mustard seed and just look at some images and see what it grows into, right? It's a tiny seed that turns into this big plant that like kind of think, think of a canopy, like think of a big tree with a canopy, right? That's what this tiny seed 
turns into. It doesn't turn into that in an instant, but over time it turns into something where the birds of the air can find shelter, where people can sit under in the shade and the comfort of this thing that started out really small and turned into something really big. And Jesus is telling us the kingdom of heaven is like that. It started out with something really small, and it's turning into something really big. How is it that that Jesus came? Think about how when Britain invaded all of these countries, how did they show up? They, They showed up with armies and horses and shields and swords ready to fight. How did Jesus show up? Jesus showed up as a baby. He showed up as a baby. He showed up in weakness, and He showed up as something feeble, and He showed up in a way that He needed to be cared for for a time like all babies do. He needed to be changed and clothed and fed for a time. He he didn't show up with horses and armies. That, That time is coming. But He didn't show up that way. He didn't show up proclaiming, Repent and believe, for the kingdom of heaven is near in order to force people to believe that. He showed up as a baby. And not only did He show up as a baby, but but how did Jesus' time on this earth come to an end? He died on a cross. He, He was tortured by those He created, those He came to save, those whom He loved. He was nailed to a cross and suffered what seems like an apparent loss if you don't know how the story ends. Right? But Jesus' death on the cross was hardly a loss at all. Jesus beat death by dying. That's a story that we probably wouldn't write, but it's what Jesus did. And so there's a sense in which His kingdom is already at hand because the King has come, right? The King has revealed Himself to us. We know who He is. So there's this sense in which the kingdom is already at hand, but there's also a sense in which the kingdom is not quite yet, right? Because we we still live in a world riddled with sin, and that day where every tongue will confess and every knee will bow, we we haven't got there yet. That's the day when when the kingdom of God will be no question in anybody's mind, and who the king is and what his rule is will not be of question to anyone. But between now and that day, Jesus' message still that we see in the Scripture is repent and believe for the kingdom of God is here. The kingdom of God is at hand. This is the crux of what Jesus is pointing out in the parables thus far. The kingdom is at hand. He told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like leaven. And usually in the Bible, leaven gets kind of like it's usually a negative thing. It gets kind of a bad rap. But this is an instance in the Bible where Jesus is talking about leaven, not not in a bad way. He says that the kingdom is like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour. And this three measures of flour was was the equivalent of about 50 pounds. So it was a lot of flour. This wasn't just a couple of cups of flour, but this was mass amounts of flour that leaven was hidden in. And the idea is that when this leaven is hidden in the flour, until it was all leavened, that it made enough bread to feed a lot of people. Right? This wasn't just a couple of loaves of bread that came out from this. And so leaven, we know, is a substance that makes dough rise. And in this case, it made the dough rise. And, and we can assume that this bread was not meant to go to waste, that it was meant to feed the hungry. Right? And the kingdom of heaven is like this. So first, the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, something little, 
that over time gets big. And kind of the similar idea with the leaven, not much that, that eventually turns into a lot, right? So we're getting a glimpse of, of the kingdom of heaven kind of in a broad sense that, that it came in a way that um, maybe was, was easy to miss. Uh, it came in a, in a very unexpected way, maybe even an antithetical way to how the Israelites would have thought that God's kingdom would be inaugurated. Um, throughout biblical history, Israel, they, they were an oppressed people. They were always under somebody's thumb. And the hope of the Israelite was that one day the Messiah is going to come and he's going to liberate them from their oppression. And so you can imagine maybe the disappointment when they hear that the Messiah has come and, and, and it's a baby. Right? They would expect probably the army to show up to liberate them, and it wasn't that. It was the mustard seed. It was the leaven, something that started out little and that over time is, is going to grow big. And so the small amount of leaven put in the flour would produce a large amount of bread that would feed many people. And so we might consider the presence of Christ in the world on a mission to draw people to his kingdom. Jesus refers to himself as the bread of life. As much as we need sustenance, as much as we need to breathe, as much as we need water, as much as we need food, we can't go, like you can go a few days without food, but you can't go that long without water, right? We need the sustenance in order to, to just get by from day to day. And Jesus would say, as important as those things are, that the bread of life is me. You need Jesus far more than you need the day-to-day sustenance of, of bread and water. And so other than the fact of, of God's kingdom and, and how it comes in an unlikely manner, what, what else can we take from this? What else can we take from these couple of verses, these three verses that tell us the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, that the kingdom of heaven uh, is compared to leaven? And I want to call our attention to Hebrews chapter 3, verses 1 and 4. You don't have to turn there, I can just read it. It says, that, Therefore, holy brothers, you who share in a heavenly calling, consider Jesus, the apostle and high priest of our confession, who was faithful to him who appointed him, just as Moses was also faithful in all of God's house. For Jesus has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses, and of much more glory than the builder of a house has but sorry, as much more glory as the builder of a house has more honor than the house itself. For every house is built by someone, but the builder of all things is God. And so God's kingdom is not confined to a geography. Right? The kingdoms of, kingdoms of our world are confined to a geography. And part of the work when you're the king in a kingdom is expanding your geography, right? I think it was uh, Ted Turner, if I'm not mistaken, who somebody asked him, how, how much land do you want to buy all the land in the world? And Ted Turner said something to the effect of, no, I don't want to buy all the land in the world, only that which touches mine. And the idea is that like, it's this never-ending, like just a little bit more. That's the way kingdoms work, Right? Expand your geography. And we're told by the writer of Hebrews that Jesus is the builder of all things. He's the builder of all things. We're told in John chapter 1 that there wasn't anything that was created that wasn't created through Him. We're also told in John 1 how that creation happened, that, that God, the Father, the Son, the Spirit, spoke into nothingness and said, let there be something. And you know what happened? Something happened. I can't do that. You can't do that. 
Right? We, we've got a lot of ingenuity in humanity today. We can do a lot of things, but we still cannot speak into the nothingness and say, let there be. That's how God created the world. He upholds it by the word of His power. Simply by speaking into creation, He orders it. Right? He's the builder of all things. And so you can look at a, at a house and you can say that's a cool house, right? Some of you, like, you go on the tour of homes and you look at houses and uh, cool things and, um, you know, more expensive houses and you live in and, and, and we endeavor, okay, that's be a nice upgrade to my house, do this, do that. As cool as a house might be, it, the, the builder gets the glory, is, it is the point of the writer of Hebrews. Every house is built by someone, but the builder of all things is God himself. And so as we endeavor to understand and wrap our minds around God's kingdom, it's central to our understanding that we know and believe and realize that He is the builder of all things. Romans 1 tells us even that we can look outside. right? Of all, all the junk going on in the world and all the sin that's riddled in the world, we can look outside and look around and we have no excuse to say that God doesn't exist. Because God built what you see when you step outside these doors. Right? We, live, we live, I think, in one of the most beautiful places anywhere. And you don't have to go very far to you know, look out to the mountains and think, God did that. Right? You don't have to watch a sunset for too long to say, God did that. Right? You don't have to float the river for very long to, to say, God did that. Right? We, we have no excuse for not believing that He is the builder of all things. And it comes down to, at the end of the day, Again, Romans 1 tells us that that we get things backwards and we worship the creation over and above the Creator, and and, and we need to make that the other way. The Creator is above all things and the one that's worthy of our worship. And so the entire problem of humanity is a problem of worshiping the creation or created things over and above the Creator. You have to try in order to reject God. It requires effort in order to reject God and to deny God. His kingdom. <clears throat> John chapter 6. There was this scene where Jesus was out doing His thing and uh, one of Jesus' miracles that He performed is that He fed a crowd of people with just one person's lunch. Right, Multiplied the food. And cool moment that, that Jesus uh, showed His power. But as soon as this moment happened, there were people that came to Him saying, well, you need to show us a sign of who you are after he performed a miracle. <laughs> kind of a crazy moment that the Bible records for us. And Jesus said in John 6, starting in verse 26, he says, Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him God the Father has set his seal, And then they said to him, what must we do to be doing the works of God? And Jesus answered them, this is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. So they said to him, then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. And Jesus then said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my father gives you true bread from heaven. The bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. And they said to him, Sir, give us this bread always. 
And Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Can, can you imagine your life not being hungry and thirsty? I, I get hunger and thirst every day. Usually starts around 7.30 in the morning, and it ends about 11.30 at night. <laughs> every day. Can you imagine not having that? Not having those sensations? There's going to come a day, we're told, that, that we're so satisfied in who Christ is that we won't be hungry. There's going to come a day that we're so satisfied in who He is that, that we won't thirst. How much time do you think about every day? Like I start thinking about when I wake up, like what are we going to eat for dinner tonight, especially if it's my night to cook. I think about that consumes my thoughts. Every time I go to the grocery store, I think, okay, I need to get some snacks that are going to last me for a few days until I come back. There's going to come a time where we don't have that. We don't have that because we're so satisfied in who Christ is. But we see the fickleness of the people here in their question, what sign do you do? What may we see so that we believe you? And they, they think back to a time in their history where they were fed manna from heaven. I don't know if you know the story, but the Israelites wandered in the desert for 40 years and every day they would wake up and there, there would be food that God provided for them. And their job was to go out and just collect enough food for the day. Just enough for the day, not, not days or weeks, but just enough for the day. And God did that for 40 years. And they're still asking Thousands of years later, give us a sign. What will you do for us so that we would believe? And I think our generation is not all that different than theirs, right? So many people think, well, if, if God would just do this, or if I could just see this, th then I would believe. But God has revealed Himself to us in the person and in the work of Jesus Christ. He is the King. He has a kingdom. The kingdom is in one sense here, and in another sense on the way, still coming. But it's here enough where we are without excuse for not acknowledging the king and the kingdom. And he tells us explicitly in what we just read that he is the bread of life, and that whoever comes to Jesus shall not hunger, and whoever believes in Jesus shall not thirst. And so as we think of these two parables of the mustard seed and the leaven, little things that grow big, we also see that, that God's kingdom, what it's like, what Jesus is trying to tell us that it's like, is that there's, there's comfort to be had in his kingdom, right? Just like the birds find comfort in the shade of the mustard tree. There's comfort to be had in God's kingdom. That hasn't been true of every kingdom throughout history. There has been, I might imagine, some very uncomfortable kingdoms throughout history. We're also told that the kingdom of heaven is like the leaven, like there's sustenance to be found in the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God will quench our hunger and quench our thirst like nothing else will quench our hunger or our thirst. And if, if those two things are true, right, and we're just kind of scratching the surface about God's kingdom today, there's all kinds of things that could be said about God's kingdom and, and what it's like. But if just those two things are true, 
if we can find comfort in the kingdom of God and if we can find sustenance in the kingdom of God, sign me up. But what's stopping us from coming under the rule and the authority of the king? If by coming under that rule and by coming under that authority, it will provide for us all the comfort that we could ever need and ask for and all the sustenance that we could ever want, then why not? Why not? And so, so I guess I would ask you to consider today that for those of you who have come under the rule and the authority of, of Christ's kingdom, if you're a Christian here today, if you're a follower of Christ, be encouraged that comfort and sustenance are things to be found in the difficulties of this life as a subject of God's kingdom. And, and if you're here today and you're not a follower of Christ, if you haven't recognized the king or the kingdom, be encouraged with the same thing, that, that there's comfort and sustenance to be found in the midst of these difficulties of life in God's kingdom. And he's trying to tell us here this is what it's like. He's revealing something to us in these parables. That his kingdom is like no other kingdom that's ever existed anywhere throughout the history of the world. His kingdom was inaugurated in a way that no other kingdom in the history of the world has been inaugurated. And when his kingdom is fully realized and, and everyone acknowledges, willingly or unwillingly, that he is the King of kings and that he is the Lord of lords, when everybody... There, there's never been a kingdom in the world that's ruled everybody. There's never been a kingdom like that. There's been some big kingdoms throughout history, but nothing that's ever ruled every subject of the earth. And Jesus is that king who one day there will be no question that he rules every subject of heaven and earth. Everything above the earth and under the earth and everything in the cosmos. This is, this is Jesus' kingdom. And so the invitation that we get from this is that we would seek sustenance and that we would seek comfort from his kingdom because it can be found there in a way that it can't be found anywhere else. Even if it seems like an unlikely kingdom with an unlikely king. Right? It's, it's part of the irony of, of Jesus. Part of the upside down nature of Christianity that, that's not like any other belief system or faith anywhere out there in the entirety of the world. And so today happens to fall on a day, the last Sunday of the month, where we get to celebrate communion, and that, that reminds us of these truths, that, that we do have a king. We have a king that, that not only is a benevolent king, a wise king, an all-powerful, an all-knowing king, but he's also kind, and he's gracious, and he's good, and he's loving, so much so that he went to the point of coming to, to his subjects becoming subject to those he created, dying on a cross, shedding his blood, so that we could have the remission of our sins, so that we could inherit his righteousness. Right? His perfect obedience to the Father is imputed to you, the Christian. And communion reminds us of that as we participate in the body and the blood of Christ. Right? It's not often that we commemorate a death fondly, Right, and think upon death fondly, but we think of the death of Christ with fondness because it did something for us. If the story of Jesus was just that he was a good guy that suffered a tragic death, 
that might make, might make for a good book or a good movie and serve to inspire us in some way. But if that's the end of the story, it doesn't do anything for us. Right? Jesus conquered death. He walked out of the grave. He beat death by dying. That's why His death matters. And in so doing, He accomplished for us a victory over sin. He accomplished for us a righteousness because of the perfect life that He lived in obedience to the will of His Father. That's why we have a celebration of communion where we can commemorate the body and the blood of Christ because it matters and it did something for us. And if, if He didn't walk out of the grave, this talk of kingdom, it wouldn't matter. But if he really did walk out of the grave, if Christ really did resurrect from the dead, his kingdom matters. It matters more than anything if he conquered death by dying. And so I would ask you just to consider that today as we participate in communion in a moment. The the band is going to come up and they're just going to strum some music and you can get the elements on your own. Uh, Take them back to your seat and uh, participate in them on your own. Uh, And after that's done, we're going to close with a song or two but I would ask you to consider in light of our text today and in light of celebrating communion today that the kingdom of Christ is real. It's here. Still yet to come in some sense, but it's here. And it matters because of what He's done for us. Let me pray. Father, we're thankful this morning. Um, Thankful that, that these words are true of You. Thankful that You are a king with a kingdom and that You are a benevolent ruler, that You're loving and that You're kind and that You're gracious. Your word tells us that it's your kindness that leads us to repentance. And so, God, I would pray today that your kindness would be evident to us. And for those that might need to be led to repentance, that today would be the day where they would come under the rule of your authority and under your kingdom. And I would pray for all of us to be encouraged, God, that you are uh, sovereign in control of all things that everything, even some of the worst things in our world today, are working to accomplish the purposes for which you have created everything. Everything's working towards your end. I pray that we would take comfort in that. and pray that you would help us today to understand just a little bit more than we did when we came in what the kingdom of God is like. Thank you for the scripture and that you have revealed yourself to us. And I pray that you would uh, give us an understanding of it all. And we ask it in Christ's name. Amen.